You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. just want to welcome you to Shorebreak. Aloha to you. If you're new, I want to say we're so stoked that you're here, that you're visiting with us. And if Kona is your home and you are searching for a church, that last song we just sang is what we're all about. We are all about Jesus, our church, and our vision is to amplify Jesus, to make much as him as possible. And so I'm so thankful that you guys are joining with us this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We have a few announcements before we uh, start our study, and it's going to be a good study. It's going to be meaty. It's going to be all about Jesus. But before we, we get there, a couple announcements. Um, one of them is, uh, a lot of you have been wondering, like, how are things going as a church? What is happening as far as the finances, as far as the growth, as far as what we see, what we have seen Jesus done, and what we are going to see him do, and what we b- believe the direction of our, our church is going. And so, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be having a, uh, a year-end report, you can say. It's like our report card at the end of the year, except uh, as long as Jesus is in it, it's always great. So, um, well, I just want to let you guys know we'll be kind of releasing and opening up some of the things that go on behind the scenes within the church. And so that'll be in a few weeks here. And also, um, if you've gotten saved through Shorebreak, if Jesus has done a work in you and saved you through Shorebreak, or you've been a Christian and you've never been baptized, we want to encourage you, get baptized. Uh, it's, 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 it's biblical. Like, we're not just like some cult saying, all right, now you got to drink the Kool-Aid, you got to be in, and you got to get baptized, right? And then now you have to wear the right clothes and do the right things. And say, no, baptism is really identifying, according to the book of Romans, of saying, all right, Christ was crucified, buried, and rose from death, and baptism is symbolic of that very thing. We have identified in our death with Christ, and we have been raised from our sins, raised f- from our trespasses into new life as born-again Christians. And baptism is simply the outward proclamation of what has happened inwardly. And so if you haven't been baptized, uh, just do what Peter said. Peter told the church, believe and be baptized. So get baptized. And listen, I know we're Hawaii. I know we're chill. Or I should say Hawaii, Right? I'm working on that. Um, We're kind of chill. We're kind of kicked back. It's like, all right, well, I'm not, you know, not going to really, not my thing, signing up a form. Just sign up. Sign up to get baptized. The form is on your way out the doors. There is a connect table. There is a pen, and there is a paper, and you place the pen on the paper and just fill out your name, email, and phone number, and we will talk to you. That's all you have to do. All right? You guys still here? Hello? Okay. Oh, Lord, we love you guys, though, really. And, and the cool thing is, baptism is a celebration. You know that, right? Like, we just want to party with Jesus with you. And so, um, as soon as you got some signups, we'll be ready to, to baptize. And I will say this, baptism is for professing Christians, people who can verbalize what they believe. So we as a church don't baptize infants, um, you don't see that happening in the Bible. Peter said, believe and be baptized. Infants don't have the ability to confess the gospel, right? They can confess self-gospel, feed me, right? But 
So, um, you know, we baptize kids if they can profess their faith and adults who do that as well. For kids, and we will do this in the future soon, we will have a baby dedication for them. Well, I believe that Jesus is moving in his church. It's evident. Um, Even the last few weeks, it's been amazing to see the gospel taking work and root in some of your lives. I mean, we have seen a change on your face, actually, as the word of God has taken up root and residence inside your heart, and you are a different person. Some of you, you are, I mean, you are living this way, and as the gospel has transformed you, your lives are completely changed, and that's awesome, and for that, we celebrate. Jesus has done great things in this church, but before we get way too ahead of ourselves as a church, we gotta hit the brakes, we gotta stop, because we're not even a year old yet as this body, shore break. We're not even a year old yet. And think of a baby, right? I mean, what do babies do at nine months, 10 months old? They're still drooling. They don't do much. They cry a lot. And that's where we are at as a church. We are new. We are drooling. We're just like, what just happened? Oh, and we're kind of coming out of this. And so it's helpful for all of us as a body. And some of you, this is your first Sunday or second Sunday, and you're like, I'm putting my roots in this home. Before we go any further, we need to stop and examine what we believe in this book so that we aren't like babies who are tossed out in the winds of, in the sea and the winds of doctrine that push us to and fro. We gotta be grounded, we need to be anchored, we need to be rooted in what this book says. And there have been some messages, many messages that I would say are markers, are anchors that we have put down and said, this is who we are as a church, and this is the direction that we are going. And for today's message, that could not be more true. As we lean into what Jesus says here in John 14, I believe that the truths that he is going to speak to us are concrete curing foundation building truths yes they're the elements of the gospel and our christian faith but that doesn't mean they're simple either sometimes we take oh the gospel it's simple right simple stuff the gospel is simple even a child could believe but that doesn't mean the gospel is dumb that doesn't mean that the gospel doesn't have deeper layers to explore my wife and i went on a date a couple weeks ago, and we enjoyed tiramisu, right? Is that how you say it? Tiramisu? Something like that? And it's amazing because you have like the first layer and you look at it and you're like, oh, this is so good. And you go, and as you go deeper, there are rich and more wonderful flavors to enjoy the deeper you go. And the gospel is like an unending tiramisu, okay? <laughs> I mean, its depths are unexplorable. So today, as we look at these truths and lean into what Jesus says in John 14, I pray, it is my prayer for us as a church that we would be transformed by the gospel, not outward behavioral change, but first, inward transformation. God cares and is more concerned with your heart than what happens out here because it starts with the heart. Out of the heart. Proverbs says, flows the wellsprings of life. So let's pray. Jesus, God our Father, Holy Spirit, as we open up into John chapter 14 and we see what you have to speak to us and to say to us, 
we are hopeless and we have nothing without you. That apart from you, Holy Spirit, we are left as orphans. So God, Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would be in our midst. We know that you are greater than the works of our enemy. So I pray that you would remove distraction, remove self-condemnation, and that you would speak and pierce the deepest areas of our heart with your love. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you help us? Would you teach us? We need you desperately. As we open your scriptures in John 14, Jesus, to hear what you say, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 14. Hours before the biggest event that history would ever know is about to take place, some people think that what we're going to be studying right now is um, actually eight to ten hours before Christ would be crucified. So this is eight to ten hours before Christ will be hung on a cross, here we see Jesus sharing some of the most encouraging, loving scriptures that we really see in almost the entire Bible. Because Jesus is going to encourage his disciples, and they're going to need it, right? As we have studied in past weeks, um, Jesus is leaving. He says, I am going to the Father. I am leaving you. And that gives good reason for him to give some words of encouragement before he departs and before he leaves. And they're going to be so confused. Because he is, he is a, before he goes to the Father, he's about to be slaughtered for their sin. Jesus, eight hours from now, is going to die for Peter's denial of Jesus. Jesus is going to be slaughtered on a tree for Thomas's faithlessness when it comes to Christ's resurrection. And even as we read, eight to ten hours before this takes place in John 14, Jesus, as he hangs on that cross, has your sin and has my sin on his mind as he hangs there, and God pours his wrath upon his own son. And so Jesus here anticipates how disturbed their souls might be, especially Peter's, because Peter's like, yeah, I'm not going to deny you. Denies him three times. So... As we move forward to study some of the most encouraging words of all script, of, 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 I believe, some of the most encouraging things in all of Scripture, let us soak in the rest of this study in the shadows of the cross. Because that's exactly where Jesus is going. He has a sight set towards Golgotha. And with that, let's take that emotion, let's take that truth right here to verse 15, where Jesus opens up. Hey, listen, what Jesus has for you as a Christian, not all the world will have. Look what he says in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the what? The world cannot receive. What? The world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus, right up front, tells his disciples, not everyone's going to get it. 
Not everyone's going to see it. Not everyone is going to get my gospel. Not everyone is going to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth coming in. And they will say, no, it's not the spirit of truth. It's false. It's not real. I don't want it. And Jesus says, not all are going to get it. But he says here to his disciples that if you are my disciples, I will dwell with you and you will dwell with me. And if you are a disciple, what Jesus says right off the bat is, you have an experience with God that those who do not know God don't have. As a professing disciple, a believer, a follower of Jesus, what you have in Christ is special. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. And sometimes we feel like, oh, well, it's not that special. I got to cover it up. I got to hide it. No, it's special. What you have in, in Christ is unique. Jesus says that. Take that to the bank. That is powerful. And since we have been pursued by God's love, since we have been enamored by his love, and we love him back, There are new depths of love, Jesus is saying, within my trinity to explore and to indulge in. And a lot of us as Christians kind of stop at John 3.16, right? Yeah, for God so loved, and it's a great verse. I love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. But did Jesus stop at John 3.16 with his love? We're in chapter 14 now of John. John 3.16 is great, but you can't stop at John 3.16 with Jesus' love. Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world. Jesus died for you. Jesus took your sin, and he did it because he loves you. You specifically. You personally. God doesn't just see a crowd of people. He sees individuals, and that's who he died for. Jesus didn't stop there. Look at verse 18. We'll continue. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And that day, I love this, you will, you will know that I am the Father, and you in me, and I in you. See how intimate this love is? Do you see how personal Jesus' love is? This is such an incredible promise. They're about to see Christ crucified, and Jesus says in verse 18, yeah, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You will be in me, and I will be in you. I will take up residence, and I will not leave you as orphans. That's intimate, is it not? There is intimacy within Christianity. Christianity is not a platonic relationship with God. It is personal. It is intimate. It is specific between you and him. And the disciples got this. I mean, think about the disciples. The disciples have laughed with Jesus. They have cried with Jesus. The disciples ate plenty of meals with Jesus. They vacationed with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. They did miracles and did ministry with Jesus. How intimate is that? The disciples were very close to him. And Jesus says, I'm going to give my life for you. Don't think wrongly about my going. He is 
talked again and again and again. I am going, I am leaving, but don't think wrongly about my departure. Don't think wrongly about my leaving. And oftentimes, that's what we do. When we feel like God has departed us, when we feel like God isn't around, when we don't see him at work, we feel like, yep, God checked out on me. God left me. He left me as an orphan on the side of the road, and I have no one to call my own. I have no home to go. No, he didn't. But as Christians, we must be careful about what we think of God. Because the most important thing about you, hear me out, the most important thing about you is what you think of God. There is no more important thing about you than what you think of God. And if your thoughts of God are good or bad, those thoughts will directly affect how you read this book. If you think wrongly about God, you will wrongly read into this book. Though this book will correct you and change your mind and transform your mind. But often what we can do is we can come to this book like many people. Many people. I have someone related within my family that has read through this book more than I have. I'm not even kidding you. And he is an atheist. And we go, we, we've had some good conversations on it. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And that affects the way you view scripture. So if God is now always angry if God is always judge, if God is always ticked, if God is always rebuking, if God is always ready to chuck a lightning bolt from heaven to take you out, who would want to obey that kind of God? And some of you have been told the people who knock on your door with white t-shirt with a tie on and pants will tell you, you need to appease God and obey him. That's what they say. And even Christians, some of us in here will say that as well. You have to. You need to. But if God is always angry, always ticked, always judged, always rebuking, who wants to obey that kind of God? Who wants to obey that sort of God? Verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. I mean, you know, it's like those of you who grew up with dads. Some of you have grown up with dads who only gave you attention when you did something wrong. When you're doing something right, they weren't around. They weren't there to, to encourage you. They weren't say, good job. But when you did something wrong, they came up right away. They were in your grill, chewing you out. And some of you, that's how you've been raised. Don't take your earthly father and blend that and mesh that with God the Father. That is not God. That is not God. Yes, God is a judge. Yes, God is a God of wrath. Yes, God is angry at sin, but God is also, in addition to that, kind. God is altogether loving. God is very compassionate. And God is your father. Yes, God is a judge. But God is also a father. And he says in verse 18, what does he say? I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. He's like, right now, bros, disciples, I'm leaving. I'm going to be killed. 
Right now, you are orphans, but I am going to the cross, and God, the judge, is going to pour out his wrath upon me that was due to you, but he's going to pour it on me, and I will appease the wrath of God, and God, your Father, and me, Jesus, as God, will adopt you to be our own. So yes, God is a a judge over sin, but now he is also the one who will adopt you to be your own. Isn't that amazing, guys? That we are all orphans, that we have been left by the roadside in the gutter, and and, and she's like, no, I'm going to adopt you. I will not leave you. If you want to write down some verses for encouragement, 2 Corinthians 6, 18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me. Says who? The Lord Almighty. He's declaring, I'm going to be your daddy. I'm going to be your heavenly father. How about this, Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. I love this. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. According to what? The purpose of his will. To praise, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Because Jesus hasn't left you as orphans. Jesus hasn't abandoned you. He has adopted you to be his sons and daughters. And according to Ephesians chapter 1, he predestined. What does that word predestined mean? It means he predetermined. God, before the foundations of the world, is like, yeah, I know you're an orphan. I know you're a sinner. But I have predetermined before the foundations of the world to adopt you as my own. And it's not based on your performance. It's not based on how obedient you are. It's based on me being your father and your identity shifting from an orphan, no home, no identity, no provider, to now having a father who has adopted you. Now you have a home. Now you have an identity. You are not left as an orphan. You have a daddy who provides all the needs that you could ever desire And just like it's hard for kids to obey parents who only give them attention when they do something wrong, to a kid who is deeply loved, to a child who is loved by their father, obedience flows from a heart that is loved. I mean, I was even reading a book recently on on parenting, and one of the things that it said is, the more you fill up your kids with love, the more prone they are to, to be obedient. Now, it doesn't mean you get them let them go away and be reckless and do whatever they want by no means. But to a kid that is deeply loved, obedience flows from that heart. I was having a conversation with Sebastian. He's um, my five-year-old son. He's my oldest son. And we just finished Bible time. And so I was like, all right, so just kind of checking on him, seeing if the gospel's taking root, kind of seeing how much he understands the gospel. And so I said, Sebastian, do you, does Jesus love you when you are good? And he said, Yes, Daddy, Jesus loves me when I'm good. I said, okay, does Jesus love you when you aren't listening and when you are bad? And he sat there for a second. He's like, and I've been, we've been teaching him the gospel. He's like, yeah, Jesus loves me when I'm not listening and when, when I'm bad. And then I said, okay, Sebastian, to press in further and deeper, I said, does Jesus love you when you sin? And he said, no. And I looked at him, I said, Sebastian, 
Jesus loves you even when you sin. In the midst of your sin, Christ loves you. And you know what he said? Well, Daddy, I don't want to sin. I was like, he gets it. Now, don't judge my kid. He's crazy. He's gonna, even after the service, he's going to be wild. If God is a judge, I've heard one pastor say it. He said, no one wants to go play ball with a judge. No one wants to go camping with a judge. But so we want to go camping with dad. We want to play ball with dad. If God is always condemning, always rebuking, always hating, always angry at you, then, yeah, who would want to obey? Who would want to love that type of God? But if God is a father who has adopted you, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to sin. And you know what? You will still sin. I will still sin. Just so you know, we're going to blow it. We are going to sin. I mean, we blow it all the time, right? When someone cuts us off on our way to work, right? Even after church, you might be, you're hungry right now. And you're like, I can't wait to go to get lunch after church. And so on your way, if someone cuts you off, I mean, you lose it, you sin, right? My, my boys have graduated from the big Legos to the little Legos. Is it impossible to step on a Lego without cussing? I'm just saying, <laughs> at least in your mind, at least in your mind. Maybe you're like, no, I never cuss. Come on. You step on that sucker, you're like, <gasps> it hurts so bad, it hurts so bad. Maybe some of you have even indulged in sin this morning or this week or the last few days and you've indulged in wicked sin and you think, well, yeah, but, but it just God. yes, God still loves you. Even when you sin, he still loves you. Because Jesus would say to you, as a father, my love for you was never dependent upon your love for me. I mean, this is woven throughout all the texts of Scripture. Romans 2, 3 and 4. I love this. Write that down. You can look at it later. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge, who practice such things, yet do them yourselves, that you would escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that it is God's kindness that leads you to repentance. What leads you to repentance is not a God who is judge over sin, but a father who has adopted you, who showed you kindness. It is his kindness that has led you to repentance. It is his kindness that fuels your obedience. So when Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments... Jesus is saying, before obedience, there is love. Brand that on your heart. Would you guys do that? Take that truth and bind that around your neck. Obedience comes out of love. So in your obedience to God, let me ask you, what is your motive? When you obey God, when you read scripture and you see what God says to do, what is your motive to do that out of? If you only see God as judge, you are motivated to obey God so that you don't tick him off, 
so that he doesn't have his wrath and anger towards you. And that maybe, just maybe, if you are obedient enough, if you are good enough, if you say the right things, you do the right stuff, you dress the right way, that maybe for a little bit, God would be happy with you and you would appease his wrath towards you. Ultimately, your motivation to obey God is based from guilt. But if God is a father, not just a judge, if God is loving and kind and his kindness leads you to repentance, you not only see God as a judge over sin, but you also see God as a father who has adopted you as an orphan who has taken you under his wing and loves you. And out of his kindness towards you and his love towards you, you lovingly and willfully obey him. Ultimately, your obedience is motivated by grace. You've understood the grace of God. And to be honest with you, more more Christians, often than not, are guilt-driven and not grace-driven when it comes to obeying Christ. You can do it later. Look it up. It's fun. How many times is obedience mentioned and how many times is love mentioned in, this, in these verses? Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments, Jesus isn't letting off this, is he? He's still going. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, John's like, not Iscariot. Just so you know, this isn't the betrayer. That loser's gone. This is not that guy. This is, this is not Iscariot. He said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest, manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, you gotta love this. This is so huge. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Intimate, personal, invitational. Come, come, come. You come to me and I come to you. I am coming to love you. I am coming to adopt you. And here's what we see with Jesus' love. You guys, you know, Jesus' love, when we read love, we, again, just like we take our earthly father's baggage and apply that to God the Father. We also take worldly love and apply that to God's love. And we can't do that, right? Because we say, I love these chili fries the same way that we say, I love my wife or the same way I love my parents or the same way I love surfing or whatever. Do we mean the same word? Sure, we throw love out there, but we do not love chili fries. Maybe some of you do. Repent. But we use the same word, and it's just, it's so weak. But listen, Christ's love is not as shallow as our love. We are not talking about God needs you to love him. He does not need you to love him, but you do need to love him because you need it. Not, he doesn't need it. He is fully sufficient on his own, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, to love one another and commune with one another for all eternity. But if you want to join in on that, be my guest because there is joy and there is an experience to have in God of deeper love to know about Christ. And it's important to know that the only way we love, according to 1 John four nineteen, is that we love because he first loved 
us. He made the move. He did that work. He loves you. He loves you. The depths of Christ's love are endless, Christian. The depths of Christ's love have no end, like tiramisu, right? It's got layers and layers and layers to enjoy. Now, as we read through this and finish up John 14 today, there's an important question to ask ourselves as students of God's word. Jesus saying, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, right? So how can we know we love Jesus then? Because he's going to repeat this four times in four verses. How can you be certain you know that you love Jesus? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Do I love Jesus? Question mark. Do I love Jesus? And write these references down. Verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24. Now he flips it. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Do you see the pattern that is happening here? Jesus, if you love me, if anyone, if you, if you love me, before obedience is love. Do you guys see that? Before there is obedience, there is love. And Jesus is making something so clear here that might be shocking to the religious people in here, including me. Loving Jesus isn't obeying Jesus. Don't stone me yet, okay? Loving Jesus is not obeying Jesus. Obeying is the result of loving Jesus, but it is not the same thing as loving Jesus, okay? You guys tracking with me here? Loving Jesus is not saying, all right, God, I'm going to do your commandments, and in doing your commandments, I will know that I love you, and I will know that you love me. That is anti-gospel. There's no good news in that, is there? There is not. Because obedience is the aftermath of loving Jesus and being loved by him. And if you think you have to do something for God to earn his love, or to be loved by him, or to display and show your love to him, you don't understand the gospel of grace. And, you know, I've been thinking of an illustration to use, and the best illustration is, you can read it later, Luke 15. You can turn there later. Luke 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. Many of us know the story of the prodigal son, right? And let me just kind of do a summation of the story. Basically, there is a younger son who is a punk. This guy is a punk to the core, And he goes up to his dad and says, hey, dad, I know when you die, I'm supposed to get an inheritance. But you know what? I would rather just have your inheritance now and treat you like you're dead. You cool with that? I mean, kids, if you went up to your parents and you were like, hey, dad, can I have my inheritance now? (laughs) Like, uh, no. (laughs) But in the story that Jesus shares of the prodigal son, what he does is Jesus, like any parable, he's exposing the heart of God. And in this parable, Check this out. Jesus says um, that the father said, you know, go ahead, take it. Take your inheritance and you can go do whatever you want. So the punk takes the inheritance, goes off, 
and he has tons of money. And of course, whenever you have money, friends are around. So he's there partying. All the friends are there. The money runs out, and so do the friends. Because that's the way that it goes. And, and he's there, and he ended up like, oh man, this is not working out so good. I gotta get a job. So he goes and gets a job. And he's working on a farm, working with pigs. And then eventually he starts running out of money and he's so hungry, he is eating the pods of food that are fed to the pigs. Pretty pathetic. And one day he's just sitting there, you know, eating pig food. Like, what am I doing, right? The servants in my dad's house are eating better than I am. The servants in my dad's house. And I used to be a son of the father, or so he thought, right? So what does he do? He's like, you know what? I'm, I'm getting up. I'm going back to dad's house. So he gets up, is walking back to dad's house, and he's probably thinking of all the things he needs to say. I mean, he, he has a speech. You can read it later. He basically says these things when he approaches dad's house. Hey, man, dad, I've sinned against heaven and, and earth and you. And, 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 and what happens is he's approaching the home. The dad pulls up his garments which is inappropriate then, just so you know. So Jesus is already saying, this is scandalous. Pulls up his garments and is like full sprinting to his son. Here you are. I've been waiting for you. I've been sitting on the porch. There you are. And as he approaches the son, the son's like, all right, here comes speech. Give speech. The dad's basically, the dad, I just see him, the father just cuts him off, throws the robe around him. He's like, hey, guys, come on, let's go out. Let's throw a barbecue. Bring the fatted calf. Let's have a luau party right now, right here. This thing's going down, right? And the son is just like shocked by the grace that his father has shown him. He didn't deserve that, did he? He didn't even deserve to be in that home. But the older brother didn't like that. So the older brother comes out. It's like, what's going on, guys? What? A party for my, he's back? Shut up. Really? No, 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 no. Dad, where are you? I want a fatted calf too. And the dad's like, son, don't you know that all that I have is, is available to you? And what does the son say? But dad, I've been obedient. I've been obedient. Look at what I, I have done. And dad's like, the obedience is not the point. See, the story of the prodigal is grace from the eyes of the Father. That's what Je- the story of the prodigal is all about. Grace from the eyes of God, the Father. And if the Father's love for the Son was based on obedience, it's over, right? If the Father based his love for the Son on his obedience, that prodigal, is, he's not coming back. There's no barbecue, there's no luau, there's no grace. But the father loved his son, and it didn't matter how obedient or disobedient he was. You see that. And some of us are like, no, it doesn't work. Yes, it does. That is the economy of God. That is how it is good news. If There is no good news if somehow you have to do something to earn God's love. Oh, grace from the eyes of the father is scandalous. The father picks up his garments, runs to you. He goes to a cross to be crucified, takes the wrath of God upon himself and the judgment of your sin and absorbs that and says, you can have all that the father offers to you and there is grace for you. That is the gospel. Does this hinge now on your obedience? No. But do you think the son, continuation of story, which doesn't actually happen, but do you think the son's like in Jesus' story would just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of go do my thing now. Dad, can I have your inheritance again? Can I go party again? 
There were, no, he's part of the Father. He wouldn't be perfect, but. The Father, the Father's love is not dependent on obedience. God, your Father, who has taken you out of the orphanage of sin and brought you into his home as an adopted son, is not dependent on your performance and obedience. Because love isn't doing something for God, but love is enjoying what God has done for you. Let that saturate your heart. Because that is the gospel at work. That is, what, that is what we mean when we say, okay, I've been following Christ for a long time, and you know, the ones who follow Christ longer are also the ones who are prone to be more religious. We can easily stray away from the grace that first saved us and do what the Galatians did, Paul said. Why have you left Why have you been bewitched from the gospel which first saved you? Why have you been pulled away from that? Don't let the Judaizers, don't let the religious, don't let the Christianese people with their Christianese slang slap you around and say, you gotta jump through my loopholes in order to show that you love God. Don't let that happen. Doesn't work that way. See, if loving Jesus isn't obeying Jesus, then what is loving Jesus? We We have to deal with that. What is loving Jesus? Loving Jesus, as we've studied throughout the Gospel of John, some things. Loving Jesus is being enamored by his glory. Loving Jesus is being enamored by his glory. Uh, I think it's John 4. Um, Loving Jesus is having your thirst quenched by his satisfying, unending, unquenchable water. Being satisfied in Christ, loving Jesus, is drinking from the well where you will never thirst again. Loving Jesus is craving him above anything and above anyone else. That's what it means to love Christ. And we'll have moments where we get derailed and we go off to the side, but the position of our heart is inclined towards God and not towards ourselves. And that is what God has done in pulling us out of that. And the response is to that truth, to a soul that loves Jesus, to a soul that is enamored by his love, to a soul that experiences Christ's love, you are filled of joy, unspeakable, and now at this point, you know what? You're like, here I am, Lord. Send me. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? You want me to move to Hawaii as a white guy and play in a church? Okay, I'll do it. It doesn't make sense. But I'll do it, God. Sure. Oh, you want to use an old man to build an ark to save certain people? To judge the, okay, sure, I'll, I'll do it, God. You want me to turn from my sin and to profess faith in you and to be transformed by your gospel? I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your love, but okay. See, loving Jesus is not doing something for him, but being loved by him. And if you do things for Jesus to love you, let me just say this. You are religious and you are legalistic. You need to repent from your sin. Repent from your religion. I'm in church, repent from, yes, repent from your religion. Because what you've done 
is you thought, if I obey Jesus, he will love me. And what you do is you flip the very thing that Jesus talked about here in verse 15. Not, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. But if you obey my commandments, then I will love you. And what the religious Christian does is say, if you stop smoking, if you stop seeing PG-13 and write out our movies, unless it's Passion to Christ, <coughs> exclusion, um, <laughs> unless you clean up your act, wear the right things, then Jesus will love you. Really? That is what the world thinks Christianity is. If you, if you, if you, if you, then you're a Christian, then you're loved by God. But it doesn't start with obedience. It starts with love. And this is, this is how scandalous God's grace is. Romans 5, 8. God showed, God demonstrated his own love towards you that while you were still not smoking, not going to PG-13 radar movies, not enjoying those. God demonstrated his own love for you that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. In the midst of you enjoying your most wicked sin, God's like, I, I died for you and I loved you. And I have predestined you, predetermined to adopt you as my sons and daughters before the foundations of the world. Because God loves us and leads, and his kindness leads us to repentance, that is how we are born again. Do you see the flow? Do you see how this works within Christianity? Do you see how our obedience should be, should be shaped? Because to think we can do something for God's love is anti-gospel. God is a father who has adopted us as orphans. Have you ever seen a parent come up with a list to their kids? All right, I got a list for you. I'm gonna give you a bunch of things to do, and if you do those things, then I will love you. Then I will be your father. Have you ever seen that, right? It's like, oh, good job, Johnny. You're getting down the list. I'm loving you more. I'm becoming more of your father. You never see that. That's perverted. That is like wicked. You're like, no, no parent does that. What makes you think God, your father would do that if you love him? So let me ask you, do you love him? you love him? I pray that the Holy Spirit, the helper, would come alongside and cause you to love him. Because in this world, there are, well, we, we get confused with good people, bad people, right? My son loves watching Wreck-It Ralph, and one of the famous lines, famous lines of Wreck-It Ralph is uh, there are two types of Guys, there are good guys and there are bad guys where I'm from. But in, in, when it comes to the world, when it comes to not gaming reality, but worldly reality, there are two types of people. Bad people and bad people redeemed by the blood of Christ. God being your father has nothing to do with how good you are, but with how great he is. If Christianity is not about smoking, not about dancing, not about drinking, then that's all on you. You want that on you? You want that performance on you? You want to trust in your own swag, your own righteousness before God to show how holy you are? That's scary. That torments me. 
good luck with that. And I say luck in the, the strongest sense because there's, there's not going to work out. Are you better than Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament? He memorized books of the Bible. He was a prophet. He heard from the voice of God directly. He wrote. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think we're better than Isaiah. And what did Isaiah say? Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and our righteousness, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Let me pause there. If you want to know what a filthy rag is, it's not what you use to wipe the counter in your kitchen. When you go to, the, when you go to Walmart or Target and you go into the feminine aisle, that is a filthy rag. If you still aren't with me, you can look it up in the original language later. It is disgusting. Your righteous acts before God are filthy rags and are shriveled up like a leaf. And like the wind, some of you get it. That's wonderful. No, I'm just kidding. You're like, oh my gosh, it's disgusting. You get it. You get, you're getting it. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. See, apart from Jesus, no man has the holiness of God. But in Christ, we have all the holiness of God that is given to us. It's called imputation. Christ has taken his righteousness and imputed that to you. He's given that to you. And that's a wonderful thing. It's just been given. And now you are able to obey. Trust on that. Lean on that. Put your faith in that. And when Christ's love defines your life, obedience becomes a joy, Christian. You know that? When Christ's love defines your life, obedience becomes a joy. 1 John 3, 4 says, His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Now this is awesome. But how am I supposed to come up with the strength to obey? Many of us have one. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. But I want to obey. How can I obey? How do I do it? I need help. Exactly. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father. The f- who? The Father. Isn't that wonderful? You see this now? You're kind of getting it? And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. You know who? The helper. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's skip down. We're going to go down to verse 25. We've already read through the other verses in 26. We need help. These things I have spoken to you that while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom God the Father will send unto my name, and he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. We need help. And Jesus says, I'm sending God, the Holy Spirit. He is the third member of the Trinity and he is going to come alongside you to help you because you do need help. You cannot obey Christ on your own without the help of the work of the Holy Spirit. And this helper, this Holy Spirit is exactly what we need to obey Christ. And some of you probably feel hopeless right now. Some of you feel hopeless in your walks with God because you've been depending on your own strength and on your own 
fight to be obedient to Christ and follow him. And you have emptied out yourself. And I say to you right now, the Holy Spirit of truth is here to help you. And he is here right now. And he is here in this room. And he will give you the ability to see that thing through. And he will help you. And I'm afraid that there are so many churches that are doing their mundane thing that if you were able to remove the Holy Spirit, they would continue doing the thing that they could do. I could in no way on my own strength get up here every Sunday working a job, taking care of my family, sweating during summer because I live on a lee. It is hot, right? And teach this word week in, week out without the help of the Holy Spirit. There is no way on your own without the Holy Spirit. You can share the gospel. You can love your kids. You can do the mission that God has set you to do without the work of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Spirit. And yes, it is also about the gospel, but the, the, the Spirit is the deliverer of the gospel. He is the one who does all the work. He is the one who all points to the glory of God. And I say he because Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a he. And let me say this, receive the Spirit. Ask for the Spirit. I, I wish we had more time. We're actually running out of time, but... Um, <laughs> We'll unpack it in a couple weeks, and I'd encourage you to be at church this Sunday, but there are different fillings of the Spirit. And Jesus begins to unpack that here. We'll, we'll, little coming attractions, we'll talk about it. You know him, for he, verse 17, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then in Acts, 3, we, in Acts 2 and 3, we see he comes upon. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have been suffering. Maybe you have been striving and sweating on your own because you've been doing it on your own, and you haven't asked the Holy Spirit to help you according to jesus here with the holy spirit you all strengthen you are weak with the holy spirit he will give life to your dead bones with the holy spirit he will comfort you like no one else can comfort you and with the holy spirit his peace will rest on your soul and the worst of storms let's read verse 27 through 31 in closing peace i leave with you My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So that what? You may believe. This whole book was written, uh, John 21, is written so that you might believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father Rise up. Let us go from here. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So church, I tell you, non-believer in here, I tell you, love Jesus. Love 
Jesus, adore Jesus, make Jesus your everything, make him your passion, make him your craving, make him your thirst. And as you do, you will do great things for God and God will do great things through you. But it starts with being enamored by his glory and the Holy Spirit will come to help you and he will teach you and he will comfort you. That's why I say repent from your rebellion. Let us repent from our sin and let us run to God believing that he loves us and that he cares for us. For if we love him, we will do his commandments. God, thank you for this time that we've had in your word. Thank you that what we believe in you, Jesus, has nothing to do with our doing, but has everything with your doing for us. And Holy Spirit, you are here. We have been praying. We prayed this morning before church started. We've been praying throughout the week. I pray, God, that your people have been praying as we studied last week. It is our will as a church to pray that you would build your church, that we would see the greatest work take place. And in this moment, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, as God's word has gone out, as the truth has been preached, as God has been a father and you have been adopted by him, maybe even this morning he has adopted you and to his family. I pray that you would love him and cherish him. You put your faith in him. You trust on him. You, the Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse you and to forgive you from all unrighteous, unrighteousness. Believe in Jesus. You can put everything on Jesus. And maybe as a Christian, if you're if you haven't done his commandments, but you've been the prodigal wandering away and you've wanted to know, you've been curious, does the Father still have grace towards me? Know this, grace to the eyes of the Father towards you is scandalous, is reckless, and he will love you like no one can love you. Let Jesus love you. Let him transform you from the inside out. God, thank you for what you've done in our midst. I pray now that as we move into worship and move into continue worshiping you, not just through the word, but through song, that we would be transformed by your gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for liberating many people who have been under the law in here this morning. I believe you have done that. We know that that your word does not return without void. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in your name. Amen. Listen, if you do not know Jesus, or you did not know Jesus until the word of God has gone out, and you would like to have a relationship with him, you want to respond to the work that he's done in you in faith, at the end of this service, we're going to have pastors up front who are here to pray for you. They want to talk to you. We want to give you a Bible. We want to encourage you in your new relationship with, with God. And you aren't meant to live this on your own, to, to, to become part of God's family. When you're adopted as a father, that means, guess what? You have tons of crazy brothers and sisters in here who have gone through what you have gone through. We've passed from death to life by his grace. And so if that's you, come up at the end of the service and talk with our pastors. And we want to encourage you on your new walks with God. And if, and if, and if you are a Christian and, and you've struggled with legalism and you have realized that the most important thing about you is what you thought of God and you've been thinking wrongly about him,
come up and we'll, we'll pray for you and we'll ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. I believe if you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is, is, is with you and in you, but we can pray for him to come upon you in this time. So let us all stand now as we continue in celebration and worshiping Christ's love for us. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.